It's good to see you all. Uh, I'm excited about today, um, particularly because this might sound weird, but I had I had such an enjoyable time studying the passage for today. Uh, I I actually learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Um, that might sound weird. Like pastors don't know everything. We're we're on a learning process as well. I actually learned so much. I don't know if you'll find it interesting the way I did. I hope so. Um, but yeah, a uh, few things. Um, I just want to say a big thank you to a few people. Uh, the worship team uh, for the sessions that you led at camp. It was amazing. Um, the group leaders, the events team. Uh, I've heard nothing but glowing praise for all you guys. So thank you for everything that you did. And last but not least, thank you to uh, Pastor Stephen Cha uh, for sharing uh, God's word with us. Um, as we mentioned in the announcements, we are going to have food afterwards uh, given to us by the church mothers. Um, again, I don't know what kind of food it is, but I've never been disappointed with church food. I don't know if you guys have, uh, especially at Full Gospel. Um, the food has always been amazing. Um, so don't feel like you're a burden. Um, you know, part part of doing life at church is learning how to receive gifts from people uh, and the, the church mothers want to be able to love and serve us in this way. Um, so let's enjoy a meal um, and get to know other people in the church as well. So KB have their meal around the same time. It'll be a great opportunity, especially for the uni students because I think you're around the same age to get to know other members are uh, a part of the wider family. And um, last but not least, um, didn't want to embarrass him, but our brother Christian has returned from WA. So if you do see him, it's good to have you back. I know everyone's been making jokes. The prodigal son has returned. Like everyone's, I thought it was just me. But um, if you do see him, please give him a warm welcome. Uh, all right. So we are in Mark's Gospel and we are in verses 12 to 25. I was going to preach up to 31, but... It became too long. So 12 to 25, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 25. The word of God reads, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. But the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, 
he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we thank you for this passage in Mark's gospel. So often we, we understand that communion, the Lord's Supper, is one of the two sacraments within the church. We have some understanding of what this sacrament is about. Uh, But Lord, we pray that as we unpackage Mark chapter 14, that you would give us a a more multidimensional understanding of the origins of this sacrament, what it signified to God's people at the time, and ultimately what it should signify to us today. Father, I pray this might feel a bit dry, uh, might be a bit difficult at times, but Lord, we pray for a clear mind to understand and hear your voice through Mark 14. May you watch over the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of our heart. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you recall last week, uh, the events of the preceding passage, uh, I preached it at our season starter retreat. And again, in the FLM room, uh, you'll remember that the preceding passage where the woman anoints Jesus with a $70,000 bottle of perfume, uh, it takes place during a period where the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover festival is drawing near. And we know this because the Jewish leaders in last week's passage, we saw that they were plotting the death of Jesus because they were afraid of the Jewish people. And Jerusalem at that time normally had a standing population of about 150,000. But during the Passover festival, that population would triple if not more. So there were effectively anywhere between three, four to 500,000 people during the Passover festival. Because Jews from all over the land, from Judea, from Galilee and all the surrounding regions would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to partake in this festival. And throughout that time, throughout the three-year ministry of Jesus, a majority of these people had come into some sort of contact with Jesus. They might have heard him preach. They might have seen him perform a miracle. And most of them actually believed, at the very least, that he was a prophet sent by God. And so the Jewish leaders wanted to uh, plot an assassination plan to bring about the murder of Jesus But they were afraid what people would think if they found out. They were worried that if people found out, it might incite a riot. And I also mentioned last week that this feast of the unleavened bread or the Passover, it's very foreign to us today because we don't really celebrate many Jewish customs. But these festivals, uh, if you remember last week, were designed to celebrate God's faithfulness in Israel's history. And particularly his faithfulness in saving his people from oppression. Particularly the book of Exodus. It celebrated a time in Israel's history where they were under the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Jewish people were really slaves. Uh, They were subject to slave labor uh, in the book of Exodus. 
Now, today's sermon, as I mentioned in the disclaimer and during my prayer, is going to be filled with a lot of information. Um, I'm hoping it'll be exciting to you. It was exciting to me. Uh, but it'll be filled with a lot of information and a lot of details uh, that we can work out if we read between the lines of Mark's gospel and combine it with details from the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. And it can be a bit dry, but it's important because uh, it'll just open your eyes up to read this passage in Jesus's ministry from a different lens. Um, and so today's passage begins with Jesus giving very detailed instructions uh, in verses 12 to 16. It says that on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out, went to the city and found that just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. Uh, these are very, very detailed instructions, very unusual instructions that Jesus gives when it came to the preparation of the Passover feast. And at this feast, you would have bread, as you guys all know, and wine, because we celebrate with those two things during communion. Um, but there would have also been a lamb, um, a lamb that had been sacrificed at the temple and cooked over a spit roast after. I love lamb. Um, but verse 13 tells us that Jesus didn't send all of his disciples. He sent two of them. And if you read Luke's gospel, it specifies that these two were Peter and John. And he sends them to perform a few errands. One, they had to go get the lamb. Uh, presumably, they went and bought a lamb. Um, and it would have been taken to the temple. There would have been a queue of people with their, lamb, their Passover lambs to be sacrificed at the temple. The priest would have sacrificed the lamb, splashed the blood on the altar. And then Peter and John would have had to take it back and cook it over a spit roast. I've had a spit roast just once. It is amazing. Um, the second errand that Jesus tasked them with was that he tells Peter and John, go and find a man carrying a jar of water. That's such a vague thing. It'd be like me. Go outside and find find the person holding the cup of water. water. Um, and you might think it's like a where's Wally kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't because back then uh, the women actually held jars of water. It was very unusual for men to be holding a jar of water. Men would hold um, animal skins that were filled with water, not so much the jars. So this, this man would have stood out. But Jesus says, go find this guy holding the jar of water and just follow him. <laughs> like, don't even say just follow him. Find out which house he ends up in. Go into that house. Find the owner of the home and tell him. Don't even give my name. Just say the teacher requires a guest room. And notice the passage says, my guest room. It's mine. Um, so tell him that the teacher requires his guest room so that his apostles can enjoy a Passover meal. 
And that man, when you say that to him, he's going to know exactly what you're talking about. And he's going to reveal this secret upper room that no one knows about. And Peter and John, you've got to go set up the tables, prepare, put the, put the lamb on the table, prepare the matzah, the flatbread, the wine. And there was dip as well, which I'll go into in a bit. Now, this conversation that Jesus tells them to have, when I was younger, I used to read that. And I thought, that's so cool. Like Jesus, I thought, I thought like Jesus was saying, you know what? I'm going to give you mind control powers. You're going to go up to someone and I don't know if you guys, are you guys, do you guys remember the Terminator 2? Are you guys, uh, some of you guys, the, the older people know Terminator 2. It was the movie that made Arnold Schwarzenegger like an international movie star. And there is a scene, Arnold plays this robot from the future and he goes up to a group of bikies and he says, your clothes, your boots, your motorcycle, give them to me. And then he obviously bashes them and then takes it off them. But that's not what's taking place here. Like, it's not like a mind trick. It's not like, I always thought it's like some Star Trek Vulcan mind trick. You shall give me your food. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's not like that. What's actually taking place, most likely, was something Jesus had prepared beforehand. That doesn't sound as cool, does it? He probably had a conversation with this person and made these arrangements beforehand. So this guy, when the when Peter and John come looking for him, he already knows what, what it is at all. He knows it's Jesus. He's made these arrangements already. Now, the passage doesn't say that, um, but the Gospels don't record every single little piece of information in Jesus' ministry. Otherwise, the books would go on forever. So Jesus most likely had already made pre-arrangements with this guy. But why the secrecy? Why bother getting Peter and John to get the sacrificial lamb, sacrifice it, and then carry it together to the upper room, but not to the upper room directly. Find the guy with the jar, follow him, find the master, have this conversation. Like Jesus already knows where this guy's home is. Why not just give the address to Peter and John and say, once you buy the lamb, just take it to this address and go upstairs. Why this whole going around the world, kind of finding this middleman. And why not send the entire 12? Would have been quicker, wouldn't it? Why not send Peter and John to get the lamb and then the remaining 10 apostles to go to this upper, upper room and set everything up so that it'll save time? You guys get the lamb, rest of you guys set up the tables. That seems much more efficient, doesn't it? I believe, though, that there was secrecy with regards to this for two reasons. Number one, Jesus knew that Judas had betrayed him. And if you remember last week's passage, it ended with Judas saying to the Jewish leaders, I'm going to wait for a good opportunity when no one's looking for you to be able to arrest Jesus in secret. And part of the reason that Jesus kept the location such a secret was because what better place to arrest Jesus than during this Passover meal? Because during this Passover meal, everyone is minding their own business. They're in their own homes eating. This is a perfect time to arrest Jesus. And I think this is the reason why Jesus made it so confidential. Because he wanted to hide the location from Judas. And in hiding the location 
from Judas, Jesus would have full control over everything that took place during this feast that we would ultimately come to know as 21st century Christians as communion or the Eucharist. This Passover meal would be of the utmost importance because Jesus would explain how this meal not only celebrated God's power in the history of his people in the past to save them, but that it would foreshadow his saving power in the future of God's people. Not just past, this isn't just a historical event to celebrate, but it's to celebrate what God is doing now and what he's going to do in the future. Now this is where it might get a bit dry. Um, If you read through the book of Exodus, uh, the bread that God instructed Israel to eat of, to prepare, uh, it says that it was a bread with no leaven, no yeast. Uh, I'm not a baker, uh, but we do have a baking extraordinaire, Elsa. Um, She will tell you, I'm sure, because I googled it, that yeast is what causes bread to rise. I don't know. Is it? Yes. Yeast is what causes bread to rise. And God instructed his people in the book of Exodus that when you make this bread for this feast, there can't be any yeast. And if there's no yeast, it's flat bread that the Jewish people called matzah. And so the Jewish custom became that the Jews, when they would eat their Passover meal, the preparation wasn't just to prepare flat bread, but you had to remove yeast, not just from the bread, but even from the location you're having the meal. So your home could have no yeast. You had yeast, you had to chuck it out for Passover. And so there'd be no yeast, and then the tables would be set up, and the sacrificial lamb that was cooked on the spit roast would have been placed at the center of the table, together with the matzah, the unleavened bread. And then there would be four cups of wine. Isn't that interesting? We're used to one cup. You know, when we see the Jesus movies, there's just one bronze cup that he just takes a sip and he passes it around. And when we do communion at church, we're, we're used to little cups. Um, it would have been four cups. And this Passover meal uh, would have just been more than just a meal of carbs, protein, and grape juice. Uh, but all of this had a symbolic meaning. Uh, there was also dip as well. Now, going back to the cups, uh, I mentioned that there were four cups. The first cup was what the Jews called the Kadesh cup. And the purpose of drinking from this cup was to sanctify the occasion of Passover and recite blessings over it. Uh, Often this would be done by the recitation of the Psalms. The the Jews would sing the Psalms. Uh, I sent the VT leaders um, a video. You can Google it. Um, Psalms, you can just Google Psalms Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L, and you'll find a video of Jews singing Psalm 113 to 115. And so they would sing 113 to 115 as they would drink this cup to celebrate that this festival is being sanctified by God. This wine represented the fact that Israel, because of what God had done, Israel were called to be holy, different, and separate from the surrounding nations. And once they drank of the Kadesh cup, there would be a hand-washing ritual And then the second cup would be drunk. The cup, this one was called the Rukaz cup. And it represented spiritual purification and preparation of the Passover meal. And it's at this point that the bread would be broken and it would be dipped into 
a dip. And it was a special dip, two dips. One of them was made of bitter herbs. Not like nice tasting herbs, bitter, like yeah, kind of herbs. And another dip, which was boiled or stewed fruit. Um, and the bitterness of the herbs, you know, I said that this every aspect of this meal had a meaning. The bitter herbs was to represent and remind the Jews of the bitterness of slavery that their forefathers had to undergo. So it's like, dip? Oh yeah, slavery. And then the dip, like, oh, yeah. They, they were much more solemn. You know? And then the, the stewed fruit, it was the color of the fruit. It was like a, it was the color of bricks. And it was to remind Jews of the color of bricks that we, I shouldn't be laughing, of the slave labor that their parents had to undergo. So it's like, oh, bricks. Yeah, you get what I mean. Um, so everything had a meaning. And then after the bread would be broken and they would dip and remember, someone would stand up and retell the story of the Exodus before the third cup, third cup, the Magid cup would be consumed. And the third cup symbolized redemption and freedom that was purchased by God. And then there would be the third, uh, fourth cup, the Barak cup, would be at the end, the final cup, which would represent the ultimate stage of redemption and the fulfillment of the hope that God gives to his people. It's a lot of information, isn't it? I hope it wasn't too dry. But the question is, how do we correlate that to today's passage? Because today's passage doesn't really mention any of these details. Uh, and the reason I enjoyed the study, I didn't know any of this. I thought it was one cup, as you saw in the Jesus movies. If you watch Passion of the Christ, one cup or multiple little cups. Um, but how do we know this happened? Well, because of Jewish culture, Jewish traditions, what's recorded by Jewish historians. This was how Passover was celebrated. And the reason why the gospel writers don't include it in their writings was because they wrote it with the assumption that the people reading are already aware of this. It was first century Jews that were reading. They would have already known all of this. So Mark in particular wouldn't have had to include these details. But bearing all this in mind, it gives a lot of context as to what happened in this passage and in the synonymous accounts in Matthew's Gospel, Luke and John's Gospel. because. I mentioned that there were four cups. It would have been after the second cup of ritual purification that Jesus would have revealed to his disciples that someone is going to betray him. And we know this because of John 13. Because John 13 says that at this point, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. And the reason we know it's after the second cup is because it's after the second cup that the bread is broken and dipped. And it's at this point that John's Gospel says that after revealing the betrayal, he says, the one that's going to betray me is who? The one whom I give this bread that I've dipped in this bitter, or shoot, whichever one it was, and he gives it to Judas. That's how we know it happened at the second cup. Jesus dips the bread and hands it to Judas Iscariot to signal to him, I know what you've done. Now, interestingly, John's gospel tells us 
that even though he has this conversation that the one who's going to betray me is the one who I'm going to give this bread to, gives it to Judas. John's gospel says that this conversation was had secretly with Judas. So Jesus said this to Judas. So presumably Judas was sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper and he was said quietly enough so that Judas could hear it, but no one else. And even when Judas leaves, when Jesus says, go do what you have to do, and Judas goes to betray him, none of the disciples seem to know. They think Judas has gone to get more food or more wine. Why did Jesus keep it a secret? Um, I think the most logical reason was that Peter, the apostle Peter, most likely would have drop-kicked Judas in the head. If he found out, knowing Peter, uh, he would have kicked Judas in the head, put him in a headlock or bashed him. Uh, if he found out that he betrayed our master. Um, but it's at this point after Judas leaves, Jesus has revealed that someone's going to betray him, that the apostles are in shock. Someone is going to betray Jesus. And not only that, verse 18, Jesus says, it's going to be one of you guys. What a way to reveal it. One of you is going to betray me. I'm not going to tell you who. You guys can guess. And then verses 19 to 21 show us their reaction. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Is it me? Is it me? And Jesus pretty much says, I'm not going to tell you. It's one of you. One of you that's dipped the bread into the dish. All of them have done that. One of you that's dipped your bread into this bitter herbs like I did. And not only that, but the Son of Man goes as it's written of him. So the Son of Man is meant to die because that's what God's plan is. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man not to have been born. So Jesus breaks the news after cup two. Judas heads out to betray Jesus. The disciples are in shock because they're devastated that one of the twelve, one of them, one of the guys they've been doing ministry with, serving alongside with for the last three years. Because remember the apostles, it's like a mini CG group. One of their own CG members is the traitor. The mood would have been quite grim. And it's at this point that Jesus introduces cup number three. It says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. And then he took the cup. This is the third cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now I mentioned that there's four cups. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to drink the fourth cup until the kingdom is fulfilled. Now, it's at the third cup, as Jesus distributes the wine, that he would have retold the story of the Exodus. Remember I told, that some, told you that someone stands up at the third cup and shares. It's like you're telling the children the story of your ancestors. like, And you're recounting God's faithfulness. So Jesus would have stood up retold the story of the Exodus as every other household was doing that very night. But the difference with Jesus 
was that he would have retold the story with an extra dimension. This was a celebration, like I said. But for Jesus and the apostles at this particular Passover meal, it was more than just a celebration of God's redemptive work in the past. But Jesus was revealing to them that what God did in the past in the Exodus was a foreshadowing of what God is doing now and what God would do in the future of his people. Jesus says that this is more than just bread and wine to commemorate the events of history. But Jesus breaks the bread and said, this is my body. And when we look at bread in the gospel narratives, we know that bread is synonymous with life. Hence why Jesus refers himself as the bread of life. So Jesus says, take this bread, which is the bread of life. Take this bread and remember that this is more than just a story from the Exodus. It's more than just the story that your parents and your grandparents told you growing up. But because this bread represents the bread of life, what matzah symbolizes when you take it is that you are being invited to receive and partake in the life of Christ. Not just to be a studier of Jesus' life, not just to be an observer of what Jesus did, but to be a participant in the life of Jesus. That's what we celebrate at communion. When we have the bread, we are declaring before God and the witness of our brothers and sisters, I am a participant in this life of Christ. And the wine which represents the blood, used to represent the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Because if you remember the Exodus, they killed a lamb as per God's instruction, painted the doorpost of their home with the blood of the lamb, and God would pass over the homes that had the lamb's blood, and he'd spare the people in that home. But Jesus is saying, now through him, through Christ, this wine has another meaning. It represents a new covenant. It represents a different lamb, a sacrificial lamb that is him. It would represent the blood that he would shed at Gethsemane to establish the new covenant. Sorry, not Gethsemane, Calvary. And to drink of this blood in the presence and the witness of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. It was a demonstration that you believe that his blood is enough. That Christ is enough. That it's not Jesus' performance plus a little bit of what I do, but that what Christ has done is enough. Enough to cleanse us from sin, enough to earn our acceptance from God, that nothing else is required. It is Jesus and Jesus only. And then that's how today's passage ends. Now, this season started a retreat. Pastor Stephen Charles asked a very simple question on the first night. And I think it's probably one of the most important questions. What do you believe? What is it that you actually believe as a Christian? And a question I want to ask you all to reflect upon as we partake in communion after this sermon is what do you believe communion is? What is your understanding 
of what the Bible says about communion. This sacrament that we engage in on the first Sunday of each month, what exactly is this sacrament? Is it an act to remember the death of Jesus? Sort of. In a sense it is, but it's so much more than that. If that's all it was, that you just remember the death of Jesus, then communion becomes nothing more than like Anzac Day, where we remember the fallen troops that fought and died for this country. What is communion? What is the purpose of it? The Catholics believe that when you get baptized and you receive Christ, that you're saved up until now. And communion is part, is the sacrament to help you maintain and sustain your forgiveness. That's why they have it at every Mass. Even weddings they have it. Even at funerals they have this Lord's Supper because they believe it's the way of re-cleansing yourself before God and re-sacrificing Jesus symbolically. That's not what it is. As I mentioned earlier, when we receive and eat of the bread, we're doing so recognizing that Jesus is the bread of life. The bread represents his body, and when we eat of it, like I said, it's not just, ah, this is Jesus' body, which is broken. He died on the cross for me. We're not just remembering his death. It is an act of faith and a demonstration in the witness of fellow Christians and before God that when I eat of this bread, I am declaring that I am an active participant in the life of Christ. I'm not just an observer. I'm not just a studier. Of Jesus' life. I'm not just you know, a student of theology. I am an active participant in the life of Christ and in this kingdom. His purpose, his will, his joy, his suffering, and most importantly, his mission. I am an active participant. And when we partake of the wine, we're declaring before the presence of our brothers and sisters in FLM, that we recognize, and this is one of the things that differentiates us from every other major world religion, that we recognize that salvation is none of us, but all of Him. That there is nothing we can add to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary for Christ's sacrifice. That's all we can add to our salvation. There is not 1% that we can add to the integrity of salvation, it is all of Christ. And by partaking of the wine, we are declaring that we recognize that it is only through Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the true vine, that he is the narrow way, that he is the bread of life. He is the only way to salvation, acceptance, and adoption into God's family. The only means is by the cleansing power of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I was excited about today. It just coincidentally, this passage happened to be the day that we do communion. But I hope that you read over Mark 14 um, and other passages synonymous to this in Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, and just ask God to prayerfully reveal to you what the Lord's Supper was all about to God's people back then, and what it should mean to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage.
Uh, we thank you for the historians, scholars, and academics that recorded the customs and rituals of Jewish tradition when it came to the Passover. We thank you that Passover has so many more dimensions to than just a historical celebration of something you did for Israel in the past. But that through Christ and what he reveals through his word, that we can celebrate it as a, that it's a celebration of not just past redemptive history, but ongoing redemptive intervention. Ongoing salvation to be to be fulfilled not only now but in the future. Something greater to look forward to than simply just a mere historical event. And so Lord, as we partake in communion after this, we pray to do it with a greater understanding, a greater appreciation, and with a greater intention when we consume the bread of life and the wine which represents the blood of your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.